on today's show. We are getting to know Jessica Tyndall. But first, promos and pleases. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, and add a little creative inspiration to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology, which is made for high visibility and strength, making it shatter-resistant. Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, then using the promo code GETTING. When you check out, it'll save you 25% on your order. Please subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod on whatever app you're listening on. Please give a five-star rating. Please take some time to write a review. Please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on social media. Pretty, pretty, please tell someone about the pod. All of your clicking, linking, sharing, rating, reviewing, starring, tagging, and simple old school speaking about the pod is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And Jessica Tyndall is running for re-election in Area A for Cape and Lopen School Board. The election is May 9th, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Voters must be 18 on the day of election and reside in the Cape District. Everyone in the Cape District is allowed to vote, not just residents of Area A. Proof of identity and address must be provided. Jessica, we've been talking for a while already. Thank you so much for coming on, letting people get to know you. I appreciate it. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. So it's it's funny when you hit record and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, now it's official. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 If you don't mind, I was thinking we should maybe start with like a little background. I know you stepped in when, was it the board member Prettyman had passed away? Noble Prettyman? So- Yes. So Noble was the uh, longtime Area A representative. And um, from what I understand, his health had been failing for a few years, but he was determined to still be a board member. And he then passed away, I believe it was 2014. Um, Jackie Briscoe was appointed to um, the seat in 2015. And then she uh, she sat in the seat for one year and decided not to rerun in 2016, which is where I come in. Um, my, um, at the time, I had a one-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And so my oldest was at in first grade at Milton Elementary. And um, I was fortunate at the time to be a stay-at-home mom. And so that year I thought, oh, I'll get involved in the PTO. And maybe like take a leadership position and really like help out. And, you know, I was going into the classrooms and 
you know, reading and, you know, helping the teacher in my kids' class, like pull out kids and just kind of read with them one-on-one and whatever they needed me to do, like cut things or just whatever. Um, It was Mrs. Lance and Mrs. Davis at the time. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, somebody called and was like, hey, this seat is up and you should like see if you could, you know, get, get elected in your area. And Something that I think was always in the back of my mind, and I can kind of give you background on that too, um, but my kids were so little that I wasn't sure if it was like the right time in their life. And so I had a long conversations with my husband and kind of like how we would make it work because I knew that the time commitment was a lot. And he, um, we have a small business and you know, if I'm going to meetings every other Thursday night for hours upon hours and other commitments that come along with this seat, you know, could, could we make it work? And um, when we thought that we were, were lucky enough to have family that lived close so they could help with our kids. And um, yeah, so I threw my hat in the ring and won in 2016. And here I am. I can't believe it's been seven years. So it's crazy. Oh, and then, so that was, I filled a two, two out of five year term. And then in 2018, I filed again and ran on a post. So here I am. Yeah. I w- yeah. It's, it's funny. I'm a little bit of a numbers geek. And I looked back in 2016 and um, the votes were, it was 853 for you, 715 for the opponents. So that's like 1500. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think at the last board election with um, Janice and Ashley, it was like 4,300. Right. Like and I don't know if that's strict population or if that was a result of COVID, more people coming out, but it definitely speaks to the growth that you've seen occur at Cape since you started, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. Um, well, first of all, voter turnout for school board elections historically is so low. <laughs> so, um, so I hope that everyone in the Cape District listens to your podcast and, you know, reads every forum that is coming out. Um so that they are informed to go vote. But I was looking through some of my old documentation that I wrote the first time that I was running. And um, I think we're at 6,300 students total right now. It was around 5,200 when I ran. Yeah. So that's seven years time. It's, an, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like an entire another high school amount of kids. Oh, yeah. I, so, and that's kind of my backstory. I'm, um, I went to Indian River. I graduated from Indian River High School. My high school was about a thousand kids. Right. So, yeah. And I know yeah. I was the, um, I was the uh, student council president. So in the Indian River School District, um, every other month you, you um, tap out with the Sussex Central student council president and you go to the board meetings and you present on what's going on in the high school. And I'm not sure if they still do that or not. I, I don't have time to attend their board meetings now as well, but, um, but that's what I did when I was a senior. And it was really interesting to see, you know, their board is a, a little bit bigger than the Cape and Logan school board and just right. the dynamics of how they got along and how they spoke to one another and what they were talking about. And uh, I understand so much more now. Fast forward all these years. Yeah, that's crazy that you were doing it that young. Mm-hmm. So has it just always, like, is it public service? Are you like a fixer? Are you like a problem solver? Do you just enjoy power? 
Like, no, <laughs> de- definitely, definitely not power. Um, no, I think I'm just a public servant. Um, I'm a, I'm just a helper. I think I've always just been a helper. Um, I have a degree in nutrition and dietetics and I was a, my first job was, I was a dietitian for the Delaware WIC program. So I, um, I counseled and consulted with, you know, pre and postnatal moms and children under five and kind of like helped, um, help them navigate what to do with their infants and how to feed them. And I loved it. And I was working with, you know, a population that, you know, needed my help and needed my knowledge. And so I just, I really enjoyed that. And I just, yeah, I just like helping and volunteering. I can't help myself sometimes. I just... I'm always asked to do things, and my husband is in the background going, please don't volunteer for any more things. We are maxed out right now. Please say no. No, no, no. But I want to be involved, and this is my kids. This is, you know, this directly affects my kids. It affects the community in which I live. So it's just something that I'm passionate about, I guess. Your organizational skills must be next level compared to mine. Cause I really still sweat getting laundry done by like eight 30 on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm like, I hope I make this deadline. <laughs> um, I, I say that it's, it's not perfect, but there are a lot of us that live in my house and we have to be very organized. Um, and you should see our shared Google calendar. It's, there's so many different facets to it. And um, I have three kids in travel sports and two kids on multiple travel teams. So, um, yeah. And like I said before, we just have a lot of family that helps out too. And um, recently I told my mother-in-law, I said, okay, next week I'm going to be really busy and I'm going to have some meetings. So can you please make sure that um, if you're feeding my children, somebody eats a vegetable. Someone needs to eat a vegetable. Okay. So it's important to me. Give them some broccoli. It does not get more mom than worrying about the vegetable. Although like I'm the, yeah. I'm the same way. Like if dinner, down it, dinner doesn't count if it doesn't have a vegetable to me also. No, eat your colors, <laughs> eat your colors. But that, yeah. And um, so staying with like, I guess in a little bit of a timeline from 2016 and going forward, sure. I'll definitely admit that I'm completely ignorant to not even just like why a board matter matters, but like, what they do, how do ideas come up? Do you have like points, agendas, interests that you're trying to get moved or are you just making decisions on like people in charge in the district, superintendents, principals are coming to you with ideas. Can you just talk a little bit about like, I guess dynamics of the role of a board in a school? Sure. So seven years ago, it was not what I thought it was. And seven years later, I have learned a whole, whole bunch. Um, so education is not my background. Um, like I said, nutrition and dietetics was. Um, I feel like the first year, it took me writing down um, all of the acronyms that educators use just to kind of like understand and learn what everything meant. Um, there was a learning curve there. And just to kind of understand really kind of what the fun, what what a board member does, like, what is our function? How do we, how do we insert ourselves in this district? And so essentially we wear two hats. One, we are the policymakers for the district. And then the other hat is that we are in charge and kind of the bosses of the superintendent. 
And we are giving him goals and, you know, working with him to make sure that he's executing those goals um, that directly benefit, you know, the district and the students in the district and the community. Um, So those are pretty much the two hats that we kind of wear. Now, board meetings um, are would be quite boring if we just kind of talked about policy. And while it's extremely important, it can be very, very, very mind-numbing. And there's lots of policies that we have. And um, there's some that we review annually and some that we, you know, haven't been touched for years and years. And we actually have an archive of policies that we're going through and kind of making sure that they are up to date. And the language is not from 1988. And, you know, just, you know, making sure that we, we are still good. Um, but outside of that, you know, um, this is a small community and our board is very unique in the state of Delaware and nationwide. Um, we have, a, I've attended the National School Board Association Conference um, for the past few years on the board. We've actually presented the last two, which has been a really cool experience right. um, on the things that are going on in Cape. Um, and... I think that sometimes people um, are taken aback when they see most of us walk into a room because our board is primarily female and made up of younger parents, younger, younger um, people. And I think that someone wants to be like, excuse me, ma'am, are you in the wrong building? Like, would, would you, are you going down to this other conference over here? The, the audience um, sits over there. That's not the table. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, oh, you're going here. Um, but so it's, I think our, our board is, is different and great. And I find value in having young parents um, on our board. There's 17 board babies between the seven of us, I think, between um, the moms and the dads and the grandparents. We have a few grandparents on our board. Um, and we are, we each have, since we represent different areas, we have kids in all of the different schools, right? So another part of being a board member to me and where I have found value is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a parent just like you in the district. And people have often said to me, um, you are very approachable and if they have questions and, you know, people sometimes want to come to me and ask me questions about things that are going on with their kid. And I'm like, wait, you know, please tell me what's going on. I'm happy to listen to you, but I might not be the person that can solve your problems. Like, let me help you navigate this, you know, problem. So that is another role that I feel like a board member has um, taken on. Um, When I I first came pained seven years ago, I heard that, you know, the Milton schools felt like they were a little neglected and that a board member wasn't really, you know, available. And I understand looking back, I mean, Mr. Prettyman was, was ill and his health was failing. And so maybe he didn't, he wasn't able to do those things. So I really made it a point when I first joined the board to show up to everything that I was invited to, or even if I wasn't invited to it, just to be a presence. (laughs) And by happenstance now, I'm doing most of those things because my kids are actively involved in the schools. And I think just showing up and being visible is important. It's, I I was kind of interrupting you there because I had a thought about like micromanaging and the perspective, maybe even like the awareness of a board member to not solve the problem. what, What I liked was, 
it wasn't like, oh, let me fix your problem. It's like, oh, let me put you in touch with the people who deal with that problem. It's like a conduit, right. which I right. feel it would be impossible. It's impossible for principals to know what happens every minute in every classroom because it's almost mm-hmm. impossible for a teacher to know, even though they're in the classroom, what happens every single minute in all of their classes. Because I don't know, it's it's too, it's there's too many people, there's too many variables. So I, it's mm-hmm. smart to not have the hubris of, I solve and I make these decisions. It's more like empowering to the people who are hired to do the job to like have them do their job, which I think is, I don't know, it, it's, it's nice. <laughs> it's a nice outlook. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, sometimes things are, are so minor um, that I've heard about. And then, you know, calling the teacher, the classroom teacher, it, one quick phone call or one quick email solves the problem. You don't need to always go to the building administrator or the you know supervisor of elementary ed or a board member or whatnot. Um, so, right, like a conduit or I say like the navigator. Like sometimes they just help navigate parents because a lot of times I just feel like people just want to be heard and that some that you know someone's listening to them and you know sometimes you get so hyper focused on what's going on in your world and with your kid and the issue at hand that you don't see you know the forest through the trees and so you just need a different someone that has a different perspective and kind of understands how to navigate the system yeah so I, it. it can be you as a parent, not knowing teacher jargon, I can't imagine some of the parents that go into like an IEP meeting or a parent-teacher conference and how overwhelmed they must be with just the system of education when people start speaking about their kid. Like, it's almost not like their kid because it's a bunch of like data. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it -hmm. it can be very scary because you're just overwhelmed, especially if you're not in it with like, wait, what does that mean? What do I translate that to? How's that relative to what I see in my kid? Right. And those back to those acronyms. I mean, yeah. shoot, I feel like there's an acronym for everything. So it's, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I feel like a board member in does. I'm super curious about the perspective of 17 board babies. Cause I had no idea that there were that many. Like, oh my gosh. Kids. Okay. So, so let's count real quick. Okay. So I have three. Um, and next year I'll have someone at every level, right? So I'll have an income, I have an incoming freshman, I have a rising sixth grader and I have a third grader. Um, Julie Derrick has three as well. Um, she has one at Beacon and then the rest are at Rehoboth. So there's six. Allison Myers has five. And so, um, one has graduated and I think one will be a senior next year. So that's 11. Um, Janet Martin has one grandchild in the district. There's 12. Janice Hanwell has two in the district and one um, who's like a toddler, like a few years away. And then Bill Colick has two grandkids in the district. Is that 17? And I think that's it. But yeah, those are our board babies. They seem very spread out. And Mm -hmm. what I'm curious about, because you had brought this up about the different dynamic, and I had not thought about this, but I do guess in other places, the board is like a legit political position or a springboard, something where you can say, oh, I was I was a board president, so now I can be state representative or I can run for Congress in my state in a smaller scale or maybe city council or county council, something like that. But it does seem, I, I know Coach Colick and I know Dr. Mall. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mall actually taught me at Lewis Middle School. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we were neighbors in Tall Pines for a little bit as well. Well, 
she was a little, she actually owned the home. I just lived with my mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, it just seems like all the people there, I don't want to speak for everyone. Like they don't have future aspirations, but they all seem very Cape centered. It doesn't seem yeah. like Cape is a springboard to something else. It all seems like Cape is our focus of improving and making it better. Which I guess when you step back, like that does have to be rare that everyone is invested in their position, yeah. not for themselves and opportunities to go forward, but to better it for the next generations of their families and the community's families. Like that is really cool. I don't know if that can be overstated enough. Yeah, no, I, um, I certainly don't have future political aspirations. Um, and I don't know if our current board does or not. I can't speak on behalf yeah. of them, but, um, no, I think that our current sitting board just has a vested interest in what's going on in this community and what happens with the kids in this community. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I like the fact that you get perspective, not just from people in the community, but it's not like you believe everything your kids say, but you can definitely mm -hmm. learn about schools and learn about what's going on by just listening to what your kids <laughs> come home and talk about. And the range of perspective there is, um, it's wide. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wait, so you were a Cape kid? Uh, I graduated in 99. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Yep, yep. Oh, um, cool. I, I moved here from New York. I want to say I was in fifth grade. I had Dr. Morris, who might have been the scariest oh. fifth grade teacher ever. But like, you just, you were there to learn. You, you were uh -huh. about business when you got there. And like, when you did well on his tests you felt so good about yourself because you knew nothing was given. And it was one of those things, um, Gil Hentz, I, I got to, I, he taught me in sixth grade, might've been seventh, but I co-taught with him in seventh grade and working with kids with the rigor he had in his class and the pace at which he moved, when kids succeeded, you could just mm -hmm. genuinely see how awesome they felt about themselves. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, all long story to say, yeah, fifth grade, moved here from New York, went to Lewis Middle School back when it was 5'8", and then okay. went to Cape High School. Um, so, yeah. Very cool, very cool. So the the new teacher orientation, um, Dr. Myers asked all of the board members to kind of write a little synopsis as to what Cape meant to them. And um, I Cape was a compromise for me because I'm an Indian River girl married to a central boy. And... <laughs> I, we were living in Georgetown when we first got married and I was like, I don't want my kids to go to Central. And he's like, our kids aren't going to Indian River. And I was, so we actually built on family land in Cape. And so what was once a compromise where we were going to have Cape babies, I couldn't imagine living or sending my kids to any other district. I'm so happy that they're here. This is such the right place for our family and for my kids. And I just believe in everything that we are doing in this Cape community. So... Yeah, that's a really good segue. And I don't know, I, I didn't prep you with like, hey, what are some specific policies that you're really proud of? Sure. <laughs> but I'm sure you can think of some stuff that you're just proud to be a part of or things oh, that sure. you're proud that like have passed since you've been on the board. Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, let's see, lots of things. So, and probably not in any kind of order, but Spanish <laughs> immersion, the implementation of Spanish uh, immersion has been amazing. I just happened to have, as this was kind of unfolding, it was right around the time that I was elected and 
you know, this was kind of coming down the pipeline that we were going to start, and especially in the Milton area at Milton Elementary and HOB, the territory that um, I represent, and my middle son would be the first cohort. Um, and that was all kind of in the works, like I said, when I got on the board, but I started to ask Mr. Fulton, like, can I need to learn more about this. Like, if this is going to be something that's offered to to my, my son and kind of like his cohort of friends and to my, my neighbors in Milton, like what's this all about? So I went with him to different schools that were already doing the Spanish immersion program. And I actually went back to John M. Clayton, which was the Indian River High School that I went to, which is now an elementary school, um, which is bizarre to like think of your high school as an elementary school. But, um, and I have a lot of friends that are teachers there now. So it was really cool to just like go into that school and we started in, I think fourth grade was the highest level and we worked our way down through the levels, like all the way through kindergarten, just to see the transgression of kids speaking Spanish. It was amazing. And I was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is awesome. This is going to be amazing for our district. They do it a little differently. They only have it at a few schools, whereas we started in our Milton schools and then rolled it out at every elementary school. So we now have over a thousand kids that are learning a different language every day. And my fifth grader is completely fluent. It's amazing. So, and just, you know, language is a gift. I feel like that we give kids and it breaks down all kinds of cultural barriers. It's, it teaches kindness and acceptance at such a young age. And I think it's just this wonderful, awesome opportunity that we're giving these kids. And um, so that's something that I'm like incredibly proud of. Um, let's see, I am, um, I helped with the, one of the things I saw kind of just, it's not a policy, it's kind of more practice, but like a weakness that we could improve in. Um, it happened in right around when my kid was in third grade and, you know, everyone, every other school, they talk about going to Washington DC and, you know, (laughs) on these field trips and it's like the big field trip that they're all excited about. Okay. And so this had been talked about for months and we have kids, we have friends in all different schools, right? All of the schools. And, um, when it came time for the field trip, they were like, we're going to go to the shorebirds. And I was like, wait a second, why aren't we going to DC? And they were like, oh, well, we can't afford to go to DC. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what do you, what, what, what? And so, dug a little further. I called, you know, every school, I kind of figured out where their third grade was going. HOB was going to Dover skating rink for something. MES was going to the shorebirds. Everyone else was going to DC. And I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense to me. This isn't fair. Like some of these kids that live in Milton are some of the ones that this might be their only, you know, opportunity to go to our nation's capital. These kids need to do it. My kid I have family that live in D.C. Like, they're going to go to D.C. all the time. Your kid will probably get an opportunity to go to D.C. Like, some of these kids need to see our nation's capital. There's a lot, just to emphasize that, not to cut you off. I'm um, coaching basketball. You've got kids that don't leave Sussex County still. Like, we can seriously take for granted the impact of getting on a bridge, getting off the peninsula. Like, that still is very real. I don't know. I don't, I can't put a percent on it. It's more like quantitative or qualitative, Mm -hmm. just stories. But I took kids up to university of Delaware to do like a basketball practice. And they were Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I had no idea route one went this long. 
And you're like, what? They're like, I know. I, I just I know. stop at that light right before the bridge. And you're like, five points? They're like, yeah, yeah that's, I don't really go much above there. And you're like, dude, that blows my mind. So yes. it's, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, that is an important perspective to understand yeah. that you can take for granted when you do have the means to take a weekend trip or to take a day trip is not everyone has those means or that ability with their families to just go to the right. Franklin Institute for a day, Absolutely. go to the Washington Absolutely. and see the Smithsonian. I've actually never been to the Franklin Institute and that's the fifth grade field trip. So I'm, I want to go with my buddy this year. And so, and You'll love it. so just kind of along that lines, like, you know, my, my driving home point was that, you know, if these five elementary schools filter into our two middle schools that are essentially a pillar to the high school, we need all of these kids doing the same things, having the same experiences, you know, they're each individualized in, you know, the classrooms, but I want there to be more consistency across the districts so that we're all, we're all kind of having the same experiences. So that's, that is currently what's going on. You know, COVID kind of messed that up for a little bit. We're just getting back into field trips, but um, that's something that I'm super proud of. Um, I have been a part of not the first round of redistricting, but the second, um, which was, you know, we didn't anticipate how big Love Creek was going to get um, <laughs> and how fast it was going to get. And that I was still a very brand new board member as that was all going down. And um, just the growth that Love Creek was experiencing. And I'll never forget Lisa Morris getting up at opening day saying, we are pregnant and giving birth every day. And it's, and she was like so funny, but she was like totally like, she wasn't wrong. Yeah. Like there were so many kids. And so, but it was important to me to kind of be on the committee to make sure that we were doing what was best for the kids in Milton and kids kind of kids all over the district because we were, you know, rerouting kids again after such a short time. Actually, I hope that I get the opportunity to do that once more with the opening of um, Fred Thomas right. at the new middle school. So that's something that I was looking forward to. Can we um, stay on the redistricting? Cause that is going to come up with the third middle school. I'm super mm -hmm. curious, like, how do you, like what goes into deciding who goes where? Cause it, I, I'm assuming it's not just proximity and geography towards the school. Um, so many different facets go into it. We, um, we consult with the University of Delaware, and um, last time on our panel, we had uh, we had some parents from different areas, and myself and Allison Myers. So, like, we covered a territory, another parent, you know, another territory, and we were board members. Um, and so, some of it's proximity, some of it's like not passing another school while you're going to another school. If that makes sense, like your bus isn't driving by Milton Elementary on your way to HOB or, you know, what have you. Um, some of it is demographics. You know, you don't want one school that is, you know, all low income and another school that has none. Um, so just to try to like lay, level out the playing field. I don't want, know what that's going to look like for Fred Thomas, given its um, proximity in the heart of Lewis. Um, but I'm interested to see just kind of how we can balance out those numbers to kind of make it kind of fair and equitable across the district. So. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, and I don't know much about it, but I've heard stories from other parents who lived in Wilmington 
when mm-hmm. I, I um, and I don't even know, I know it has a name, but it was called something like, like mandatory. White flight. <laughs> That's what it was called. It's I, 100%. Is that what you're talking about? Like the yeah, big. I just remember where... they were like, hey man, you live in Wilmington. We're going to put you on a bus and send you 45 minutes out somewhere. Hey, you live 45 minutes in a suburb. Mm-hmm. We're going to bus you into the city of Wilmington. And people were like, it was the worst because you grew up yeah. with all your friends and then all of a sudden you were just gone from them in this new strange place where you honestly had no connection and it didn't feel like a community. And I think at, at its heart, school should be like a community. It should be people that you bump into for us, like at the boardwalk, at the beach, in the outlets, totally. in town. Like you just see them in fields and places when your kids are playing. And like that's a community. Apparently that didn't happen. I don't I don't understand right. a ton of the Wilmington demographics, but when you hear it, it just seems terrible. It's like, wait, dude, you had to go 55 minutes to a school that had no connection to you? That's horrible. Yeah. Um, that's actually, it is, I believe it's called white flight and where that like basically the people that had, you know, the means, they were like, you're not sending my kid to an inner city school where, you know, my kid's not going to that school. That's not in their community. I'm just going to send them to private school. And that's how the private schools in Wilmington, you know, became so popular was because of that kind of transition. Um, now I don't remember what year it was in, but I did read about that many, many moons ago. Yeah. I, I want to say maybe late eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, but definitely, yeah. um, no facts behind that statement. Yeah. So with, yeah, the redistricting, that's tough. Although it seems like housing prices are like, if you're finding anything under the four hundreds, God bless you for it around mm-hmm. here. Now, definitely the upper levels seem higher in Lewis, Rehoboth, Beach area versus Milton. But it seems like Route 9, Route 1 are some pretty good equalizers as far as having mm-hmm. kids come in from more rural areas that are less dense, right. I would assume. Yeah, it's uh, there's lots of maps and people <laughs> that are much smarter than me that are kind of like analyzing lots of data and um, kind of hot pockets of like where people are living and um recently it's been in the love creek area and i didn't realize that they could still build houses in that area but they are and i think the next area that is going to be the hot spot is milton and so you know that's another thing that like forward thinking our board is starting to kind of think about it's like okay you know the price of land is going up um you know, we are, we need to start thinking about securing something for future generations. You know, we don't want to sell all of the land around us and go, oh, wait a second. Now we don't have places to put kids. We don't have a place to build a school for these kids to go. So there has to be some planning to kind of go around. That's actually currently what we're doing, not what I've done in the past, but something currently that we're talking about. Um, I'm very proud that, um, and I actually um, said this in a room full of um, some chia representatives, but I said, I'm very proud that, you know, in 2020, I was one of five that voted to reopen schools. And it was a very hard decision. It was um, incredibly stressful for lots and lots of people. But I think we did what was best for, you know, the kids and what we were given with at the time. And you know, our test scores are reflections of that right now. Um, so that I'm, that's still one of those things that I'm, I'm super proud that, you know, 
I voted yes. And then I just believed in what our staff could do to implement it. You know, I wasn't implementing it. I was leaving it up to, you know, you to do it every day, but I felt confident in the plan that we had. And I believed in, in our staff and, you know, and if it didn't work, it didn't work, but I'm glad that we took a shot and did it. It, I, how hard was that without getting my personal opinion, which was as a middle-aged white male, that's fairly fit. Like I exercise regularly. I, it, it's almost weird to say now, like COVID did not scare me. I did. I had an older mom. She actually broke her mm-hmm. hip during COVID. So she was almost like locked down in a nursing home. So I couldn't really see her. So I didn't have that fear of passing it to anyone mm-hmm. either. So I felt very lucky in, in that sense. Um, but I wasn't, I, to me, it was in the moment so overblown. Like, why aren't kids here? Because we tried the whole remote thing when COVID happened at the end of the year. And it was like, you got ghosted. You're like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't engaged. Mm-hmm. They're not learning. And like all that to put context into help me and people listening just to understand why it was such a tough vote. Yes. Because now when you look back, it's like, yeah, you should have been in school. But like at the time, why was it so tough to vote yes? Um, because I think at the time, you know, going back to that era, which uh, I, I think in, you know, when we're all older, like sitting around and our children are studying COVID-19, you know, in the year 2020, we're going to be like, oh, you know, like this, I don't even want to talk about it. It was, it was such a weird, stressful time. But, you know, I felt like anytime you looked on the TV, it was like, you know, we're all going to die. Everyone's going to get this virus. Everyone's dying. And, you know, there was a lot of fear and anxiety. And as the months went on, you know, we're all, you know, people are going, don't play on playgrounds and don't kiss your grandma. Don't see your, you know, don't see your family. Like there was a lot of fear instilled in a lot of people. And then if you had someone that you loved close to you that had some kind of you know, um, medical issue going on, you know, you thought, Oh my God, am am I going to kill my grandma? Like, you know, my husband's grandfather is still living. He's going to be 90 this summer. He's on an oxygen tank. Like we thought, Oh my, you know, one little illness could, could kill grandpa. You know, it's, it's, I think it was a real fear for a lot of people. And as a board member, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, you know, I'm just a mom and I'm in this position to kind of represent and lead the community. And I was having people that I trusted and that I loved that were, I think, scared to return to work for the fear of the unknown. And, you know, going into the big board meeting, I really didn't know which way I was going to vote. I really did not. I took a call right before it from Um, someone that is a teacher in our district who I adore and respect so much. And she was like, Jess, please, we're not ready. Do not open up schools. Please do not. And I just, I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was a lot of the medical professionals that were on the call that were telling, you know, talking. I can just remember like there was a palliative doctor that got on the call and was just saying, like, you don't understand. The kids need to be in school. I see kids come into the ER every day and, like, we're doing a disservice by these children. And I, something just, I thought, you know what, I'm going to vote yes. Let's try it. And we did it so well that across the state, 
people, other districts were looking to keep. How are you doing this? What, what, how are you making this work? We can't even open up for a day without, you know, quarantining. Um, but I think it's just, it goes back to our staff, how our staff rose to the occasion and did what was best for all of the kids in our community. And it was, you know, we had people stepping up that were substitutes, that were teachers in, in other states that retired here that were wanting to sub in our building, buildings because the quarantine rules were like, you know, so strenuous. Like we got COVID and we were holed up here for 14 days. Like it was like the, you know, OG COVID. It, my husband actually turned 40 when we were in lockdown. Nice. Um, so yeah, my oldest had a birthday and my husband turned 40. So, but it was, um, it was just a wild time, wild time. But I'm still proud that we, that I voted yes to take a chance because I really do think it was what was best. Yeah. So for perspective, and I don't know if you would know this, when the decision to have elementary go five days a week, like a kid in elementary mm-hmm. could go five days a week, any other districts in the state that had that option for their residents or was it just no. Cape? It was just Cape. That's kind of sick when you start thinking about how many elementary schools yeah, there are it was throughout just the Cape. state. Now, I don't know um, private schools. I didn't, yeah. I don't know that statistic and that, but public schools, it was just Cape. And then middle schools, cause we had that hybrid thing, which mm-hmm. was, it was, Thank God they were there at least two days, but it was so weird to be like, it felt like, do you remember in college taking classes where it's like Monday, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Friday for mm-hmm. a, an mm-hmm. hour a time? You're like, yeah. you're treating sixth graders like they're at Dell Tech yeah. on a college schedule. But were there any other middle schools or high schools that had in-person to start um, the year option? I don't, I don't remember. Um, I, I remember that there were a few that would open and then a bunch of people would have to quarantine and they would have to close like, but it wasn't from September because we delayed the start of school, I think two weeks. weeks, Right. So it was like the third week. Um, but no, we were the only district in the entire state that did it for a few months. And I didn't vote that way because it was what was best for my kids. You know, we, like I said before we got on this, you know, we want, we have a remote business. We've been zooming and, you know, doing Google Hangouts and whatnot for years. My kids would have been just fine. We have the technology. They have what they need. We both work from home. They would have been fine. It was, I was concerned about kids that needed teachers to lay eyes on them every single day. I was, I was, I was really concerned about those kids. And, you know, for the mental health of a lot of kids, like it's just, it's not good. And this year, I think we're seeing a lot of mental health issues um, with, with some of our friends um, in our Cape schools. I just, it, it's best for them to be around their peers and learning from teachers in person. Dude, there was a time, and not to dwell too much in the past, but like when we think back, <laughs> talk about like taking field trips for granted taking yeah. the internet for granted. Do you remember like having to organize hotspots and parking lots and expect parents yeah. who are working because they don't have internet at home to organize yeah. a way for their kid to sit in the school parking lot to hit four Zooms for eight hours? Like, Absolutely. I mean, crazy. Well, not to mention that we're also like, 
you know, there's parts of this district that are kind of rural and like, you know, if you don't get dropped. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, how are you supposed, like your internet? I mean, I feel like five years ago, there were people that still have like satellites in their yards trying to get like internet and, you know, but now we're all expected to be on like virtual calls all the time. It's wild. Yeah. So when you think about those kids, not only the mental health aspect, but also just the learning gap and got to me, the elementary teachers that like virtually dealing with phonetics, if you think of the attention span of kindergartners and first graders, if a kid chose to go virtual and then having to take care of those little guys and girls, like it, it talk about impossible. And it's how many cats and dogs do you think people saw over like the course of their, I mean, crazy, just a lot. Yeah. yeah. Here's my kitty cat. No, Dude, we had a kid leave a zoom because his parrot he thought was sick and he had to go to the vet. And he was just like, I got to go take my parrot to the vet. And he took him off his shoulder and walked out. And you were like, like, do we write him up? Like what what happened? Like if he was in school, you don't get to just leave a classroom because you want to, but like, that was the weird empowerment that you're trying to educate kids on. And when you start putting into perspective, you're like, yeah, we probably like that definitely better. And then weighing the risk, especially at the time with the fear of killing elderly. And that really was the vibe. You were going to kill the elderly, but it was like, but you're also really squashing your child's growth, having the balance it. Plus then at the time, no one else has done it. So you don't even know that it actually is possible that right. helps to understand like the, or remember why it was such a big deal to vote five. We, we took a risk. I mean, it was definitely a risk and I'm proud that I'm proud that I voted to take that risk. Yeah. It, um, yeah. I, I, I was, I was happy <laughs> to, to see kids again. It was yeah. so much better yeah. than trying to organize a zoom and see their poor frustration when you can like help a kid in person yeah. and they can just hear you and they can feel I don't know, man, feel comfort. Like there is no comfort through a Zoom screen over frustration. There's no pat on the shoulder. You know, there's no like, I don't know. It's it's really hard to explain. It would almost be like trying to be in the medical field. Like imagine a nurse taking vitals virtually mm-hmm. and then someone experiencing mm-hmm. discomfort in their chest and you're whatever, 20 miles away trying to make mm-hmm. them feel better. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't sound humane. It's not human. Right, right. There's just a, there's a certain touch that being in person adds. Yeah. Learning is best in person. Yeah. All right. Sorry. That was a COVID rant on my part. That's okay. I could, I could talk about lots of things that I feel like we have, um, you know, championed along the way that, that I've just been a part of, you know, and it's not that it's not, I'm part of a team and my team just kind of oversees what district office is doing but I feel like district office has a really good vibe about like what they're doing. And, you know, we're trying right now with um, this whole like grow your own to, you know, there's a nationwide teacher shortage. We haven't experienced mm-hmm. that in Cape. People want to be here. And I'm really proud of that, that we're a district of choice, not only for students um, and families, but also for teachers. Um, but I think that, you know, our board just has a way of, allowing our district office staff to, you know, they bring ideas to us and we're like, that is so awesome. You know, let's like, let's, let's go with that. Or, you know, sometimes we go back and forth with that. Um, but, you know, Ned Gladfelter and Lisa Morris did an amazing job a few weeks about go about having this 
in in-house career fair at the high school and we had almost 200 people attend and it was every job that we are posting for that's amazing and it's unheard of in um this you know world of education right now because all you hear is people are getting out of education not getting into it and so we have people that want to work here and we are getting some really talented staff really talented so i'm proud of that too i'm curious about supporting um district office because it it seems super weird to me when you talked about like the two hats and being mm-hmm. like yeah i'm kind of in charge of education and not not to like belittle it but you're like you're not an educator right you're a mom you're a very involved parent mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to me i would get what i i think is called like imposter syndrome a lot of like who am i to tell a professional what they're doing and i'm super curious to like your thought process and how you I don't like make decisions when you're getting things presented to you, mm-hmm. you know, the trust, establishing trust with different employees that you're then empowering to do. Right. Well, I think it all, it all boils down to trust, right? So, you know, the people that are at the top or at district office, they have multiple degrees and have been in doing this work for years and years and years. And you have to trust those people to do their job and let them have autonomy and kind of work out what they're doing. Um, There are also seven members. There's a reason that there are seven people that are on a board. They all come from different perspectives and they all have different, you know, life experiences. Mine is, you know, I've been, you know, I grew up on food stamps to a single mom. I went, I'm a graduate of public high schools in this area. I have three kids in the district. I run a business. You know, there's different, there's different hats that I wear all the time. And essentially, if you're looking from, you know, the 3,000 foot perspective, school districts are just a business, right? We're in the business of education. And so it starts with the top and, you know, goes down. And that's kind of how, that's not my leadership style, by the way. I'm kind of a more of like a, <laughs> um, you know, go up the chain of command, but, um, but it's, essentially you are, you're running a business. And so you have to, the business, when the business is successful, the people at the top are successful, right? And they're able to grow and, and expand. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. And no, I'm not, I don't pretend to be an educator. I don't ever pretend to um, have been in a classroom. I substituted like three times once when I was on winter break uh, from college. Um I, I have I have no idea what it's like to be. I really don't. And I have the utmost admiration for all of these, all of you guys, all of the staff members for our Cape District. But um, I trust what the people that our board has hired and put in place to do their job. And if they don't, then that's why we discuss their contracts. Gotcha. Man, that's, I started off as a business major at Dell Tech. And then I got actually um, uh, a part-time job Tuesdays, Thursdays, teaching gym at Eagle's Nest before it was oh, um, yeah. Delmarva Christian. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I get to help people instead of fire them. And I like fell in love immediately because I was working in restaurants and I was yeah. so scared that I'd have to fire somebody like a couple weeks before Christmas. It, it paralyzed me. Um, and not to be super negative, but if you can talk a little bit about balancing, because Anytime you're in a leadership position, you have to take risks. 
people mm-hmm. are going to get upset. You have to make decisions. Some decisions don't work out well. Can you like maybe just talk a little bit about things you consider when dealing with is failures too strong of a word or when things don't work out like they were expected to? And I'm not trying to like box you into a corner or anything, but no, it's no, no, no. interesting. So I'm trying. I'm trying to think of an example where, um, where I don't know if it was a failure. I don't know if I can think of something that it's failures, but I think that there are times, especially with policy. You know, we write policy and you know talk about things at board meetings, and then teachers go and implement them. Sometimes they don't always work the way that like the district office thinks or maybe kind of what we review because we're not doing it every day. So I think that from time to time, things have to be adjusted, but I don't know if there's, I can't think of like a super failure. Can you think of one in the past seven years that you want to discuss? I mean, no, but I, I went, I watched video of one board meeting and all I heard was like the, does anyone second? I second the motion. The motion is parried through. And like, it was within 10 minutes I was asleep. So like, I don't, (laughs) I I don't know like how that stuff, you know, gets discussed, but I think it is something interesting when you're voting for somebody is like that hard line of accountability versus understanding that to make an omelet, you got to crack a few eggs or you have like Mm -hmm. some shells, you you have loss. Every business has some sort of range of like acceptable loss because you want Mm -hmm. risk because that's how you get growth. But then with risk comes failure, things don't work out. And it's just a really interesting dynamic that I struggle to even articulate because I don't know if you can articulate how you hold people accountable when you're a voting member, people in charge, because right. you, you have to, I don't, you have to accept that some things just are going to be screwed up and you can tolerate, oh, that didn't work. That's cool. But I guess it just goes to like believing in the person who's making decisions, maybe that they had good intentions. I'm trying to think, what would I do? Like if I had to vote somehow? Well, so we, we, you know, again, it goes back to us reviewing the contracts of all of the district office staff and reviewing Bob's contract and what his, you know, I say Bob, the superintendent, like he's been the superintendent in the seven years that I've been on the board, but, you know, and his goals and his missions and ultimately like it's on his shoulders. Like this is, you know, you're running, we have hired you to run the district. You're in charge of all of these things. These are, these are your goals. If you, if you're not meeting those goals, then it's our job to discuss. And if he's not meeting those goals, then to get rid of him. But, you know, he is meeting those goals and he is, you know, wants this district to be better. And our board wants this district to be better. We're all, I think, competitive and we're all, um, you know, on the same team and what's, what's, what, what's best for kids. Right. So we're all just, we're never, we're never complacent. We're always wanting to do better and get better. So I don't know if that answers your question. I don't know if there's been failures. Sure. There's been like, you know, things that have come along the way in Cape world, probably many years ago that I wasn't even a part of maybe the implementation of uh, Chinese, the Chinese immersion program that happened a few years ago. Yeah. And Oh yeah. So that was, um, um, yeah. So that was something that I don't think worked out, you know, but that seemed kind of doomed from the start. Cause if you think about the scalability with 
Spanish immersion. Like you do have to have people who can speak Spanish and do that. And like, when you start thinking of scalability of like a pipeline of Mandarin certified teachers and you're like, how do we get all those people to move here? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, and there's, there's a district in Cesar Rodney that, or Cesar Rodney does it. There's a school that does it, but I, I, it, it's cha- it seems challenging to me. It so it's already it's a, it's a little challenging to get you know Spanish immersion teachers sometimes just because of the different visas. So I you know gotcha. I, th- I I don't have to do that. <laughs> Ned does that. Ned and Lisa do that. That's not again. We've hired them to do their job and they do it very well and very successfully. And I guess part of it too is just a conversation with them, and it seems like you're super open to having them speak to you about what makes sense like what they can do and then you're kind of determining like okay yeah all right that seems like that seems fair that seems like right you can do this so we're agreeing that you can do this and then if stuff doesn't happen we have discussions about it later on about the why exactly okay. yeah exactly yeah i, I, exactly. I don't know i i, I kind of like that i like empowering people within their position to I don't make, make those decisions. I feel, I feel like you get more buy-in from people who are there because now they feel like it's on them versus mandates that they now have to comply with. Well, or building trust with someone and allowing them space to maybe fail, you know, or it not go according to plan and, you know, having enough trust and respect in someone in their profession and what they do that like sometimes things need to be adjusted. So it's kind of my leadership. Yeah. Dude, that seems so nice. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like harsh, not, not to like belittle it, but it seems like comforting. Like, oh my God, I'm allowed to make a mistake somewhat. And like, it's not going to be the end of the world. And like that to me would be empowering and would um, like foster creativity and foster creative problem solving, which I think a lot of times you want in a very dynamic and filled with variable school district is like, you need to have some creative problem solving. Isn't that what we're teaching our kids, Hopefully. right? So aren't we allowed <laughs> to give that grace to the staff that work for us? You know, so that's, Dude. that's the way I feel. Let's speaking about the super negative, let's flip it a little bit and go with, if constituents come to you with issues, you had addressed it kind of once about like, I'd called it being a conduit. You had said navigator, Talk a little bit about like how you best ways to approach you with concerns of voters within the districts and how you like to handle and go about those. It it happens a lot. I think just because I'm out and about in the community and people, I think feel comfortable or they're they're just having a conversation with someone. I'm pretty, um, pretty chatty and I'm, I'm a pretty (laughs) big extrovert. So I'm not afraid to kind of walk up and talk to people and, you know, it just kind of happens um, that people come to me with concerns. And again, like I said before, my main process is that I ask them who they've talked to and kind of find out like if they've hit the teacher or hit the principal or, you know, contacted whoever. And once it gets to a certain point, because of the hierarchy of our district, the way it's laid out, like everybody has a boss, right? And so if I feel like somebody's followed the chain of command, and they're ready for to talk to me, then I'm like, okay, well, let me see what I can do. And let me talk to Bob or Jenny and, you know, find out what's going on. Um, I've had people come to me and talk to me about bus stops before, which isn't really my 
you know, area of expertise, but I'm happy to listen. And um, I actually just had somebody that had a question about bus stops and kind of the safety of like where her kid was. And she had, you know, navigated through a certain path. And I was like, okay, now it's time for me to kind of like step in. So I call Bob and I say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. And he's like, okay, I'm on it. And then he follows up with me. And then I follow up with the parent to make sure that the situation is resolved and that they're happy with it. And I always kind of go into it like with certain topics, like I'm going to do my best. Like there, there might be stipulations, especially with bus stops. Like, I don't know the corner of X street and X street. Like if there's a certain, if there's a more safer way that you, a kid can get picked up versus what mom and dad are saying, or I don't know the circumstances that, you know, but I'll try and I'll find you an answer. There's always, you know, the decisions are made and there are answers behind them. And so I try to kind of convey that message as to kind of like why, the why, right? People want to know the why, why you do certain things. Um, So that's kind of how I handle when community members come to me with questions, concerns. That seems super fair. And like not, not to be mean to anybody who has a concern and would go straight to a board member, but you would hope that like, if it's a classroom issue, I definitely touch base with the teacher. And then if you're unhappy with the teacher's response, you should go to that teacher's supervisor. You shouldn't skip four levels to a board member. Now somebody feels like, oh my God, my job's going to be lost kind of a thing. And right. like that can be kind of the stigma. And it it's, I don't know, it, it's almost like a, almost wastes energy and time from finding the solution and the common ground to whatever the well, issue is. Because now people get on guard, I feel. Well, or let's pick on Fred Best because I feel like poor Fred Best, he can't get away from me. Do you know I'm the PTO president at Mariner too? Do you know I had restarted the PTO? I did I, not. <laughs> I... Dude, the PTO uh, can raise some cash at Cape. I know like that Shields playground was like built by the PTO and that thing was um, my daughter's favorite playground ever. So yeah, great yeah. respect for the PTO because those those people pull in cash and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, the kids get Rita's today or oh my God, like field day is yeah. way better and it just makes a day, makes a field trip better. Sorry, but yeah, the PTO. So, yeah, PTO, yeah. So the Mariner, Mariner didn't have one. And I actually, with a team of people, we restarted it last year and uh, have been very successful, very successful. But not all of them are as successful, but I'm, I, um, I've worked really hard. Anyhow, but so let's pick on Fred back because he can't, um, he can't get away from me. I feel like I'm, you know, a board member. I'm a parent in his building. Um, maybe my son went out with Reagan best for a little bit, um, you know, uh, small town America and I'm the PTO president. So anyhow, let's pick on him. I'm sure he, I don't know if he listens to your podcast or not, but bless his heart. Um, but so it's not fair to Fred if, you know, somebody, if I'm calling Bob and going, Hey, you know, this parent has a complaint and Fred's not doing his job or blah, blah, blah. And Fred's like, wait a second. I didn't even know that was happening in my school. Yeah. You know, he, he's not given the opportunity to mitigate the situation. If, you know, he has a board member coming, you know, kind of down the yeah, wrong down. path. And I think board members in the past maybe have done things like that. And so actually when you become a new, when you are a new board, board member, our current board has worked hard. You go through like board member boot camp and you kind of are told, you know, 
this is kind of how our body works and this is what we're going to do. And it's honestly Allison Meyer's job or whoever the president is, like when a board member goes rogue to swoop them back in and say, you know, this is how we do things. Like this is, we all need to be on the same page for, again, for the greater good of the district. So we all are a cohesive body that helps the district excel and succeed. That. And again, might be my ignorance, small town versus like what it would be like in Wilmington or whatever, New York City. But like that seems like people who are not trying to get an agenda across to springboard somewhere else. That seems like people who want to build relationships, trust and foundations within a district, which is very settling. It's comforting. It really is comforting to hear. It is. It's actually, it's nice for me as a parent and community member and a board member, um, you know, going to these school board conferences, you interact with other board members from all different states. And, you know, you talk to people and they're like, we don't understand why you guys are so nice to each other. Like we don't, like there's fundamentals that we just don't have that you guys seem to have. And generally, you know, I really like everyone that I sit on the school board with. There's not one person that I, and, and even past members, you know, I think they're all really interesting and lovely people. And I think our community is really lucky that we've had some people that have really had vested interest in what's going on with our kids. And it's cool to be a part of. And that's, I think, one of my main reasons for running is that I think that we are a great board and doing really great things in this community. And I'm just not ready to leave the party yet. I want to, I want to be a part of continuing to watch this key community grow and be better and do really great things. You know, aside that I'm also a parent in the district, but you know, and I want, I want, I built on family land. I am here till death do I part and I want what's best for my future generations too. You know, can you be too agreeable as a board? Is there a downside to you guys Uh, being so happy? (laughs) Just because we all get along doesn't mean that we always agree. Let's let me, Uh, let me, let me put that out there. That's a good point. Um, Good distinction. There have been, uh, no one's disrespectful. Let's put it that way. We have had, you know, executive sessions that have definitely been tense and we don't agree. We've had to have multiple and it's about, you know, executive sessions is for only like executive topics, but when we are in that boardroom at a public board meeting, there are absolutely sometimes where I have voted no to things where people voted yes on and I do it in public. And, you know, I generally have um, a why and I'm, and I always will answer that as long as it doesn't have to do with personnel or, or something that is private. Um, But we get along, but we don't always agree. And yeah, this, that's a very good distinction. And this might sound like a really stupid hokey like question. Can I know a little bit about executive session, Jessica Tindall? <laughs> like what, what matters to that person? I ask you to like talk about specific personnel things, but yeah. like, what are some stances or some things that matter to you behind closed doors as much as you can share? Um, or is that kind of a stupid question? No, it's not a stupid question. Um, so what matters to me? Um, I'm about equality and making sure that that we're doing things right for, you know, 
specifically the Milton area. You know, the again, when I got on this board, I felt like the tone was that people don't pay attention to the Milton schools and they don't have what they need. And so I've been a huge advocate for the Milton schools for seven years now and will continue to be, you know, into the next few years. And maybe even if I'm not a board member, just because I care. Um, But yeah, just, I'm not afraid to ask hard questions and kind of find out the answers it's hard executive session. I feel like executive session is one of those things that's like, Ooh, what do you do in there? And it's, it's not, we like literally eat dinner. Like we shove food in our face as fast as we can. We go through personnel sheets. We talk about choice requests. We talk about, you know, if there's any litigation that's going on, if there's, you know, purchase of land um, or kind of conversations around that, but everything else is public. Well, that's session topic. I think that's why it's interesting, at least for someone like me, and I would think for voters, is like it's cool to know the public you, and that's easy to know, right? It would be easy to go mm-hmm. through and figure out what you vote for. But like, mm-hmm. what are you saying in executive sessions that I would agree with, right? Or what are you bringing up or fighting for in executive sessions that I would be like, you know what? Uh, I would go a different way. But Mm -hmm. I don't even know, again, like maybe that's one of those things that you can't verbalize because it's too topic specific, but it's an interesting thing because it is a closed door. So you always look to get access to private closed door sessions like that. Yeah. And student cases. We talk about student cases. That's the other topic. So those are all, you know, private things that... Would you you say you err more policy side or student side when making decisions? Or is that a silly way to phrase it? Is there a third way to err? I feel like that's too black and white for me. So I feel like there's, you know, the policies that we write are, they have a direct effect on the students, right? So I feel like it's both. It's tough. I guess because like I, so I play this game in my head where I'm like, if I'm Supreme Court O'Grady and like I have to make, (laughs) I have to to vote, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. how would I vote? And every once in a while I'm like, yeah, I feel comfortable making that decision after reading this Mm -hmm. news article and like, yep, that is what should be the law of the land. Then there's other Mm -hmm. times where I'm like, I would call in sick that day and I just can't vote. Oh, 100%. When I think of like student cases, I'm imagining if a student case comes to a board member, there's been a violation or at least an accusation of a violation of policy. So Mm -hmm. then you've got to be like, you get your facts together. And in my head, I'm like, you can go one or two ways. I can be a Policy says shirts should be tucked in. Your shirt's not, this is a Woodbridge thing. Your shirt's not tucked in. It's the fifth infraction. Mm -hmm. Dress code says blank for this offense. Get that kid, I'll be stupid, to scope. He's out forever, right? Like if that's where it landed. Or you could be like, I know the policy says, but kind of a person. And I feel like I would be the, I know policy says, but... Because I'd rather err and be taken advantage of by a kid in a situation than be mm-hmm. too stern. Um, but again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just, as we're talking about this, I like to put myself in those situations. But like, how, how would I be? What would my mindset I, be? So we have, so Louis Cosme will generally come in now and update us. And it's been different people throughout my kind of tenure on the board to kind of like update us about student cases. And 
every time we're in those situations, you know, whether it's myself or another board member, we ask questions about each kid to kind of understand like the full picture in the two minutes that we're given, you know, a synopsis of what's going on in this kid's life. Like you just don't, there are reasons that people do things like what's their why, you know? And so I think to me, there's a more, there's a human that whose life, you know, I'm not, I'm just not someone that's like, Oh, well, it's all black and white. You know, you have no idea. You have no idea what a kid's going through or why they make the choices or like, gosh, I'm not perfect. And someone has given me a second shot at life at, you know, certain times. Like, I just feel like it's, there's always more. And I try to find out what that more is before making a choice. And yes, there have been decisions where absolutely I have not wanted to go to a board meeting or not wanted to like, you know, leading up to the meeting where we were going to fully open schools and, you know, districts around the country were having angry people come to their meetings and, you know, spew hate and kind of like what unfolded at, at our meeting. You know, I didn't want to go. I didn't, you know, I have three kids and this is my volunteer job, but I showed up because it's, I'm an elected official to represent this district and that's my job. And I take it very seriously, but there have been times. Yeah. I mean, the, I inherited the, um, do you remember when we changed school start times? Oh, yeah. I hate you because of that. Wait, did you vote for middle schools to go earlier, middle school and high schools? So, yeah. Did you say you hated me? Thanks. Just for that. Um, yeah. That was, <laughs> I inherited I that problem. Every other kid. So that was, that was a, that was a, a, the board could not come to consensus on that. And so Janice Hanwell and I were elected and it was like probably our fifth meeting and they were like, we're going to, we're going to bring up the school start times. And I'm not kidding you. I woke up to a text message from my roommate in college who was very upset about the whole school start time. So I was like, Oh my God, people hate me. Like, this is terrible. Oh my God. I'm like, I went to, it was a, it was an off day. I went to a favorite orchard and I ran into a teacher that works at my kid's school. And I was like, Hey, how you doing? not great. Woke up to the news of your board. And I was just like, Oh my God, I can't show myself in public now. Like this is ridiculous. And I was super new then too. So it was, I mean, it was tough. I definitely have grown some thicker skin since then, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was, I had Janice Hamwell and I inherited that and we had to make a decision and, you know, I don't want to rehash that, that uh, decision, but you know, it's made, it's gone, but yeah, it was tough. Like the, the downfall of it. And, you know, even to open schools or like, you know, different things that we've done, you know, it's like, I just want to hide for a few days and not be out in public. Yeah. I think it can be a pretty rare situation where someone makes decisions. They think they know what will happen because of the decision. And, or like, they actually have genuine, like, I feel like most people, when they make a decision, do it because they think it's right. I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of people, I don't think you made that decision. I don't make wow. decisions to be like, you know what? I think this will really upset the majority of people. Yeah. But then it happens and you're like, I, that really sucks. But I don't think a lot of people get to experience that. Making a decision and then having to deal with unhappy people maybe that aren't family members about like what that the consequences of that decision. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go into this and you're not going to make everyone happy, right? You're not chocolate. You're not going to like, you can't like make people happy all the time. And um, it's just knowing, it's kind of understanding why you vote a certain way and standing behind that. And so, you know, and I've, again, I've grown thicker skin. I'm a little older now. I was um, 33 when I was elected. So I'll be 40 this year. Newsflash 40 is on knocking on my door. Um, And I've just, I've learned a lot. I'm more confident in, you know, this position who I am and, you know, as a mom. And I just, you know, I just always kind of stick to what my true north is and what I believe right and wrong is. So, and try to educate myself as much as I possibly can about a topic. Yeah, you seem, I don't know, you seem accessible. You seem like a listener. And even having to pick policy or a person and you're like, ah, oh, that's too black and white. Like, there's a lot that's comforting about that because it's wise. I, to me, I'm like, it's wise to be like, Someone's like, that's kind of my job is to have treat situations as its own situation. Yes, you have to make policy that is expansive, right? And Mm -hmm. that is black and white. But then when that policy gets challenged, you really have to consider it, right? And you have Mm -hmm. to be like, could Mm -hmm. I be wrong? And you seem like someone who considers, okay, maybe that was wrong or maybe that Mm -hmm. could be better. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm wrong all the time. All all the time. (laughs) I mean, ask my teenager all the time i am just the 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 dumbest person that he's ever met so obviously and i have no experience on anything so let's let's use the teenager thing to bring up um, student accountability i know that was probably a policy i'm assuming you had to been a part of the grade changing Mm -hmm. the 10 point Mm -hmm. scale and then like 50s Mm -hmm. being a minimum right so positive negatives right positives i think are uh, like the grade scale, more kids can have a higher GPA, gives mm-hmm. kids a better chance of passing throughout the year. Negative mm-hmm. is no accountability. Now kids don't have to do anything. So if mm-hmm. we can talk just in general about student accountability, or actually maybe we can start with the grade policy and then see sure. where it goes with student accountability. So our first, um, I believe you know, our first go around with it that has since been revised some of the, not the kind of 10 point scale, but some of the way that we were grading, it's been essentially revised since the first time we voted on it. Again, back to when I said earlier in the podcast, like, you know, policy is put in place, things are recommended. And then once they're actually implemented, you find out that they don't necessarily work. And so that's, you know, we went back to the, not the drawing board, but we kind of revised it to, to, to see how it works. Yes, I do think that the 10 point scale, um, a lot of schools in the area are doing that. A lot of schools nationwide are doing that 10 point scale. So I think it was more of like a kind of get ourselves on par with other, with other schools, especially, you know, some of these kids that are applying to colleges and, you know, we're on a seven point scale versus a 10 point scale. And so it's that, that those three points in GPA kind of really affected some students versus um, you know, against other students that were getting into colleges. The accountability piece, um, you know, again, I'm a firm believer that like, you know, not everyone grows up in my home. And I tell my teenager all the time, not everybody has a Jessica on in their quarter, you know, and some people are working five days a week. And sometimes, you know, I had a teacher the other day say, um, you know, I have this kid that, that 
works five nights a week and sometimes he falls asleep in my class. And there are other coworkers that I have that are get so frustrated with that. But she's like, I know this kid is a good kid and that he's, you know, his dad lives in Georgetown and he works five days a week and school's early. And sometimes he's just tired and he has me like first thing in the morning. So he like, you know, nods off for a little bit. She's like, I'm not going to condemn this kid. He's a good kid. I could like fail him. So there's just circumstances that I think that some people are willing to kind of understand and sometimes they're not. And for those that aren't willing to kind of maybe that see things black and white, I think the grading policy can be tougher for them because it's, it doesn't make sense to them. It's definitely easier for a kid to do less, it, it, mm-hmm. to do less and still pass. Right. And I think that's the old school parent, almost like the old school math of like, I don't need to understand math. I just need to know the formula and do it. It's like, no, well, we're trying to teach it a different way where you have to like understand the principles behind it. It's like, well, that's stupid. Just divide this way. Here's how you get your answer. Mm-hmm. So like I've heard from people where it's like, so wait, it's like impossible for my kid to fail. Then my kid doesn't like school. Why are they going to do anything in school? And I guess that would be the only counter that I've heard to the positives of the opportunity of higher GPAs, <laughs> making a work and multiple opportunities to improve your grade, which are all good things. But I do know people grew up with like failing was a really big deal and it was a really big fear. And it seems like yeah. we're kind of working to like almost take away the fear of failure. Sure. And I can, I can understand that perspective. I believe that, you know, the way that our policy is written and kind of our code of conduct, code of conduct right now is, you know, our main goal is to keep kids in school. And, you know, I think sometimes you have to go to, you know, maybe an extreme to kind of like come to the middle, maybe, you know, down the road, we will, we'll figure it out and maybe revise it again. I don't think that it's like set in stone always, if there's something better, but for right now, I think that you know, we're really trying to make sure that we keep kids in school for as long as we possibly can. Because a kid that's like not going to turn in their work, they're just going to constantly fail. Well, they're probably going to drop out anyway. So if you can, if you're trying to keep that kid and you're just like constantly telling that kid, oh yeah, you're failing again, John, you're failing again, John, you're failing again, John. Like, you know, over time, like that kid's just going to be like, well, what am I doing this for anyway? I'm just going to stop going to school. But if you give that kid a glimmer of hope that like, hey, that there are people that actually care about you and want to see you succeed, then maybe that kid is going to do something. And who knows, maybe down the road, they're going to be like, listen, that school and those teachers gave me a chance. And now I'm not, you know, I'm a productive part of society because of it. I'm not, I have a diploma. You know, I don't, I can get a job. I don't have to, you know, rely on things that may not, you know, be successful for my life. I can be a better person. It's kind of with the way I think about it. Is it a huge deal to revise a policy? <laughs> That's something I have no idea about. So whatever, you make a mistake um, on policy and you're like, wait, we should change that. Is that a super cumbersome process? So I think it depends on what policy the policy it is. You know, generally, if there's a policy that can be amended, there's a um, generally a group of people put together within the district made up of different, like, you know, Position. different teachers, different schools, and they all come together and the group decides on what's best for the policy. And then it is 
filtered through like, you know, Ned Gladfelter or um, Mike Young or whoever is kind of in charge of the policy. And then it is brought to our attention and it kind of goes through like the district office to like different, just lots of different eyeballs, but like kind of like a committee is put together to make sure that like there's multiple different opinions in it. And then that policy gets presented and then you guys, the board would approve it and then it would have, so if, if you find out for grading, like what would a typical, is there a typical timeline? Like, Oh, you know what? We're not happy with the outcomes of this policy. Let's figure out a way to improve it. Make a committee, get us a new draft. How long? Yeah. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's probably a couple month month process and then anything like that, um, you know, generally policies are brought to us and they, they're read and reviewed three times before they're voted on, uh, especially policies that um, apply to taxpayers' dollars. Gotcha. So it's brought to us for like review and discussion. And that's our opportunity as a board where it's presented, the story behind it is presented, our board reads the policies you know, things are crossed out if they're old policies, the new is presented in like a different color. And then that's our opportunity to um, discuss as a board in open session. And then generally by the third reading of that policy is when we vote on it. And those would be three separate meetings. Correct. Gotcha. So months, it takes, it takes months. Gotcha. That's still like not... It's not years, which is nice. It seems like when you talk about months and you talk about school year, maybe you could really have something that's incorrect policy for two marking periods. And then we can kind of fix it. I guess I'm thinking like timeline wise. Yeah. I'm like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that makes sense. You don't want it to just be like, oh, we can change it every day because it's a system. No. You know, like you can't yeah. do it like that. And yeah. you have to be accountable to voters. Right. And, Okay, that seems super fair. Right. Um, yeah, so let's do um, summer school, an opinion on summer school. Keeping kids okay. in school, holding them accountable with grades. Is there anything you want to say about summer school? Does summer school matter? <laughs> can you can you expand your question? Are you talking about like the summer school and the opportunities that Kate provides or like summer school in general where it's like learning loss and like summer slide. I, so I'm really a pessimistic person and I guess I'm looking at it from the punitive aspect of fear and kids okay. being motivated to do work during the school year for fear of summer school. Okay. And I'm wondering, like, is that still a thing? I, I'm fortunate enough where my daughter, I don't have to worry about her being in danger of having to go to summer school. Yeah. And I guess that's where I'm coming from is like, is there still, I don't know, like, is summer school still a thing that kids have to be worried? That's a really terrible way to ask the question. Yeah. So I think that there is, especially in the last few years because of COVID and kind of their learn, learning loss and like catching kids loss up. Focus, right? yeah. yeah. There's, there's the, I think the mentality of summer school is a little different right now than kind of more of a punitive, like summer school. Oh, you're going to summer school because you failed all these classes. Yeah. And I think it's more of like a, these are, it's just more enrichment to like keep your, to, 
to make sure that our students are successful throughout the year just because there has been a learning loss. And I know that like things that were just presented to us recently, like, um, you know, they're doing Spanish immersion camps and it's mainly for like, just to keep the kids like communicating to kind of mitigate that summer slide with their Spanish immersion, but they're also doing, you know, especially with the elementary schools, like a little, just more enrichment for those buddies that need a little catching up. And same thing with middle school and high school. Now I think it's different in K through five, like when you're that age versus like, as you get older and you're like, oh, I'm 15 and I have to take a class over the summer because I failed. And it's, you know, the stigma behind that's a little different. Um, But I think that again, it all just goes back to teachers wanting to bump up those kids and what they're doing and giving them more enrichment and wanting to see them not fail and just have them succeed. Yeah. I've really wondered in a smaller area. And and it seems way more like as a positive focus. And I don't know, like that's something I got to think about with myself and like perspective of like, is negative reinforcement something that's, or is negative incentive something that actually helps get the intended consequence? So if you want a kid to learn, is fear of going to summer school the best mm-hmm. way to encourage that child to actually read a book? Or are you just encouraging them to like cheat to get by? Right. And it's kind of like wasted effort and energy, you know? And it's just like an, I, yeah. I don't even know if it's a board policy thing. I'm sure there is a policy somewhere about like how a kid goes to summer school. But I guess I was just thinking on the accountability vein like that's something I've heard from parents is to be like, so there's like not even summer school or so like my kid doesn't fear summer school anymore. And I wish they did. And I was like, huh, cause I don't have to deal with that, you know? And it was just right. I guess, something I was thinking about, but I don't even know how to like ask the question. It's not like a, like is summer school good? Cause I was like, no, summer school is not good. You don't want your kid to go to summer school for failing. Hopefully that got helped during the year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we certainly don't want kids cheating to like get get through. Yeah. But, um, I recently, the summer school to me has been positive. And then there's, there's programs in the Milton school, like fame, which kind of help, you know, again, it's, it's, um, it's more enrichment, but there's, you know, education built into it. So it's like, it's like fun learning. It's not, Again, it's not punitive. It's fun. Like old school no. worksheets, sit at a desk. You're going to read this book yeah. to a report. Now you pass English yeah. kind of vibe. I wonder if society's kind of almost like, it, I don't even know if it's good to like put it on the parallel, but almost like like some people are very like pro spanking and some people are like, there's better ways to like discipline your kid. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if summer school's evolving in how it's being implemented. Because I think a lot of people Every- growing up, it was super fearful. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think the way everything that I've heard from the seat in which I sit, I've heard, you know, all good things. And it seems like a really positive experience. So, yeah, I have printed out if you're talking about old school worksheets. I used to love the like multiplication tables, like the old school sheets. And I can vividly remember printing them out in COVID being like, I'm going to time you and let's get, let's see how fast we can do it. 
<laughs> I totally raced my kid as well. This poor child yeah. of mine. Yeah, that that's the thing. There is something soothing and accomplishing about like getting <laughs> that thing done and getting all those things right. Yeah. Like the old school, there's yeah. like fifty problems, oh five yeah. by ten columns. Yeah. So wait, did you go to Shields? No, it was, was it Richard Shields. So or did you go to Milton no, Elementary? Lewis. Um, so, to okay. Yeah. So then I, when I moved down here, I grew up um, on Dewey Avenue oh. and then we okay. moved out Great. to Tall Pines. I still caught rides um, back to Lewis. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Actually okay. both Cape buildings, I know Lewis just got redone, but the majority of my Cape buildings have been torn down or improved. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Oh, nice I went cool. to Lord Baltimore and I just had a flashback of like doing multiplication tables and like, you know, putting your head down, thumbs up or yeah. something like that, you know, when you, when you were done old school races. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a weird competition. I if strangely, I don't know. I was the same way like you then. Cause I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess last thing or about student accountability that I was just thinking sure. about, and I, we kind of got into the vibe of the discipline. Can you talk a little bit about like restorative practices, what you hope comes from that versus I don't know, like code of conduct and suspensions. Mm -hmm. I know like statistics are a big deal. And um, yeah, I, I guess that would just be it. Thoughts and views on like restorative practices and sure. compared to like suspensions. So our code of conduct, I believe is the only code of conduct in the state that actually has restorative practices intertwined into it, um, which is something that I, again, am proud of. Um, and the implementation of it, I think, can be a little, it's frustrating for some. But again, it's that sometimes you have to go really far outside your box to kind of come back in and bring people people into it to kind of understand um, your thinking. But the, I think the mission of this board and the thought process is that we want to keep students in our schools. We don't want to you know, constantly suspend kids and let them go for um, small infractions. I mean, there's a time and there's certainly things that happen that those um, suspensions are warranted. And But the thought process is that instead of having just all these small infractions come up time and time again, that kind of waste time, we'd rather the kids be in school. And the hope with restorative practices, I guess, for people, because that might even be like a term where I don't know if non-school people know exactly what a restorative practice is. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. I would I would say it's getting to the root, like the why. I think you had mentioned that mm -hmm. earlier about like, why are you, everyone has a why. Mm -hmm. If the kid's acting out and calling out in class, sit down, I don't need to sit down, sit down, I don't need to sit down, get out, now suspend, he refuse to sit down but get to the why and then figure out something yeah. that will do. Do you need a break every five minutes or can you yeah. raise your hand and just go get water when you feel like you have to shout out and this way you get a little bit of a break, then you can come back. And yeah. I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you can define restorative practices better, but it seems like instead of just dismissing a child, it's getting the time to figure out why a behavior is occurring and right. then finding a solution to improve it right or at, what's up, what's going on with you today like is everything okay is there anything that's on your mind like do we need to you know do you need to talk to me about something you know and yeah just kind of understanding it's more of understanding the whole child right and understanding that people aren't 
robots and that they don't just go into work or their classroom every day and sit down and they're like, oh, I ate breakfast at 6.30. I got a shower. I had the heat on today. It was, you know, there are, there are lots of things that that make up a whole child and it's kind of understanding that whole child and the circumstances that they that they go through every day. And what's the board done or doing to help support those relationships? Because I'm coming from a secondary lens and it can be mm-hmm. overwhelming with 100 kids for a classroom teacher trying to make a personal connection with all of them. I think even elementary teachers, it's probably overwhelming 25, 30 kids, you know, 50 yeah. kids if you split. So what's the board doing to try to support the schools and staff in making those relationships? Um, I think that we have, well, that's a, that's a big question. So I think that, you know, we have done a lot of work in the last two years with kind of bumping up our mental health and um, the services and resources that teachers have for their students that they can go to, and even for themselves. I don't know if the staff knows that you guys, you know, have access to, to these resources as well, but like, you know, lots of professional development in regards to kind of understanding, you know, building relationships and, you know, it's, it, it's not easy. Listen, I, I'm like, for my, for my seat, you have more kids, middle school and secondary ed, you know, has so many more kids than elementary school. And even with elementary school teachers, like sometimes I don't, I don't really understand how it, how it goes down. Like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm grumpy. And then you guys have to go talk to all these people. And I'm, you know, sitting at my desk, like with my headphones in, like, I don't even want to talk to the 15 people I have on my Slack message right now, but you know, it's, it's difficult, right? But we're all humans. And so it's, it's just, everyone's kind of a, a, afforded a bad day here, there and everywhere. And everyone's just doing the best we can. But I know that the people that we have on our team are just really good people and want what's best for kids. Right. So everyone's willing to try and improve and make the best of it. I always look at it as a very weird numbers game from a staffing standpoint. Cause it's like, if you have a building of 700 kids, what's the correct ratio of mental health need on a given day, right? So December 21st, how many kids will need 30 minutes of one-on-one time with someone they have a relationship with? And for teachers, it gets really hard because it's like, well, I'm here to teach. It's not that I don't care about the kid, but there's 20 other kids in there who are waiting on me to deliver a lesson to help them get better at whatever this reading skill. And you as an individual need me to give you 20 minutes Mm -hmm. of time and to hear your story because I can't rush you through the abuse you experienced or the fact that you just had a loss, Mm -hmm. like somebody died in your family. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's move on. Like you can't have that conversation that quick with a kid. So it that's the weird thing that I was kind of wondering about with the school board is like trying to either like increase the amount of people in there or like figuring out if there'd been conversations about how to get that number, that ratio lower. Yeah. So always. And so there are people like Janice Hanwell that, you know, she was an assistant superintendent at a point in time. Like she understands, she brings that like institutional knowledge to us that I, I don't have because I'm not, you know, an education. I just, I'm, I'm learning what I've been taught in the past seven years, but I always think that like our board is always advocating for like lowest class sizes that we possibly can get. And 
you know, if there's, if there's a need sending in an additional resource to kind of like bolster what, what is needed. And like I said, in the past year, we've doubled all of our mental health services, our psychologists, social workers in a lot of our buildings. And it might be something that we need to kind of look at again and maybe add more because it's, this year, I think it's been tough for a lot of people and it's we're like getting back into normalcy, yeah. if you will, post-COVID. So I think that there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things kind of working themselves out and it's getting put on some people that maybe it shouldn't be put on, you know? Dude, I, I don't know if I'm soft and emotional, you know, like, I don't know, I've gone through some trainings, but I don't know if I'm best equipped to deal with some kids in crisis. Sometimes I get over my steeds and I'm like, yeah, let me go try to find you almost like what you were saying when navigating, like, no, yeah. you're going to want to go talk to this person because I don't even know the best way to help you deal cope or even just to listen. I don't even know if I'm a yeah. good listener for you right now, kid. Yeah. I, I, I think you're a good listener, but I think that, I think kids just, uh, it's tough. I mean, kids are, there are some kids that go through a lot of stuff and I, I'm proud of how they can keep it all together, but they're resilient. Oh yeah. um, Oh yeah. So this is, and I don't know if you would know this answer when the, a decision gets made to add a mental health support service, does that like take away from teacher funding or teachers in the classroom? Is it a unit shift? Is that a grant thing? Is that like local funds, state funds? Okay. So it's, it's definitely not a, okay. So it was with, again, the institutional knowledge and this is all goes over and it all gets like muddied in the water. Um, I believe that the, it's not a teacher unit because that is formulated differently. There's all these like formulas that the state uses. We did use some of our CARES funds to hire social workers when that money was available. And then we kept on um, more social workers um, and and mental health. I want to say that it's local funds, but I cannot be 100% certain about it. So again, that's like, Janice Hanwell knows that stuff like the back of her hand. I don't even understand. She whips out it and like, no, that's just not my. Yeah. Cause again. the state for every kid, each kid, you add up kids and so many kids equal a teacher, but right. kids have different values based on different needs. Like students with special education needs get a Correct. unit for less than students without special education needs. You would need uh, make up a number 22 to get one teacher versus right. four to get one teacher. But then I, the concern would be if you're trying to lower class sizes, but also wanting to provide the mental health support, are you yeah. robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of a thing? Like, okay, we want to support you kid, but now our class sizes are... 35 so there's less individual attention in the class yeah i don't actually that's a good uh, now i'm now i'm gonna ask that question because i need to understand myself um but yeah no that's a really good question well and then there's a formula with like how many students are in a building versus like what qualifies like an an administrator and when we qualify for like an assistant principal and like how the high school the growth that the high school's had and it's like they have one principal and now they have they qualify for enough units for another assistant principal. And, you know, it's, there's all these formulas that 
Yes. When it's written down and I can read it and understand it, I can make um, good decisions on it. But there's some things that just I don't carry in my my cabeza. Yeah, you'd have to be a math whiz to just memorize those formulas and pull them out. Um, Yeah, and that's all state, right? That's not like a local policy where you, the Cape and Lopen School Board is determining those formulas that's the state because the majority of a teacher and all state employees funding for cape comes from the state right it's basically like a two-thirds one-third correct yeah yeah so that's not something people voting could be like whatever hold the cape board accountable for it would just be the decision of where to place a unit that people might be interested in correct correct yes it's a state formula okay yep um and that was, sometimes I get off on these weird tangents and I feel like I don't keep things very well organized. I was trying to like go time sections to make it easier for people if oh. they want to jump around. Sure. Um, is there a, let's go with hopes and like moving forward. So if reelected, what do you, or do you have specific goals you're working towards things you want to see continued? Is that too yeah. open of a question? No. So I keep And that's one of the things that I've been asking myself, like, oh, what's my platform? Well, I don't know if I have a platform. (laughs) I'm, I'm just, because I'm in it and I'm doing this again, I just want to see the great things that we're doing just continue to be expanded upon and, um, you know, be a part of helping the hard decisions get made for the district in the, in the next few years. Are there things that are on the table that are coming up. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, expansion of immersion into the middle schools, I know is one thing that's on, on topic for like next year for Mariner and then the year after beacon and how that's going to go and how that's going to shake down, um, the opening of Fred Thomas and the redistricting of that school. That's something that's, you know, I want to be a part of and understand how that's going to, how that's going to work out. Um, you know, we're opening, this big, beautiful building for Fred Thomas and, you know, our oldest middle schools or our oldest schools are 2003, which are Beacon and Mariner. Well, Beacon and Mariner need to have some repairs done to them. And, you know, to me, I'm like, this is wonderful that these kids are getting this beautiful building in Lewis, but what's going on at Beacon and Mariner? Should we, you know, make a few additions or not additions, um, adjustments to them to make sure that they have what, you know, they need and that their building is successful. Um, gosh, one topic that I keep hearing that keeps coming up time and time again is the pool. When are we going to get the pool? Where's the pool? Where's the pool? And I'd love to see our district have a pool. Do I know where it's going to go? Nope. But, um, you know, it's something that, you know, we're talking about an operating expense referendum coming up. We were talking about one before COVID happened and we had to kind of, um, shift and adjust. And, um, I'd love to see a pool in, in that packet of information at some point. Is it, um, that's actually kind of interesting too. So like, and th- this is going to sound really mean, but like, why do you matter as a board member to getting a pool? Wouldn't it just be up straight up to the voters in a referendum? The only way you would matter would be if you as a board member wanted to like do it all at a local, right? Because whatever current local, whatever that pot is, the board has a lot of discretion over. But if it's going to be a referendum is it even mm-hmm. really a big deal for you to be like dude let's just let people vote on it 
Um, so I, I hear what you're saying, but yes, it's the board is the one that decides whether or not that we're going to go out to the public to, for a referendum and the public has to vote on that referendum. And if it gets, we've been extremely successful in the past referendums that we've done, got a hot but, got a streak going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there, yeah, our board makes jokes like we should make t-shirts when we go to these school board things that are like, we pass referendums, ask us how, like, it, it's not funny because it's, it's, we're so lucky to be in this community and there are other district, districts that really need to pass referendums. But um, yeah, so it's, it's basically, if the referendums don't pass, it's kind of a, it kind of is on the board and the district, right? Is it though? So it's like- it, that's that's super interesting to me. Like, would it be a like what's the saying? Egg on your face. If the board said let's go to referendum and it doesn't get passed, that actually looks bad on the board in a sense. I would think so. Maybe yeah, huh. yeah. Because it's it's why isn't the community supporting? I don't know. Oh, because sure. if it didn't why get passed, it you... right? What what's what's what what are we doing that the community doesn't want to support us you know and there have been times where other districts have gotten themselves in hot water you know and there's been a little uh trust issues so gotcha because now the people who vote down the referendum are like why would we vote for you to go back and be our representative if you're saying go to referendum knowing or you should have known Mm -hmm. we didn't want this anyway gotcha so and everything comes to when a presentation comes to us and they're like, okay, we're going to go out to referendum. We have to vote on it as a board if we support that or not. Gotcha. That makes, yeah. Mm-hmm. putting in that context, yeah, that makes way more sense than the way I was yeah. thinking about it. And I think the pool was voted down in what, 2006, 2007, but it was like a separate um thought it was, was going to go where the basketball courts are. It was going to be like where the weight uh-huh. room is on the high school. And then yeah. instead it was like, oh, cool. We got a couple of basketball courts and we do crossfit yeah. out there. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. That was like the, um, that was the place for it. But I was saying on the ballot, like it was for, yes, for the referendum for the new high school. And then I think the, the pool was like a separate vote and it lost by like 60 votes or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, maybe the timing wasn't right and maybe... It is now. Who knows? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. But I would love to see a pool at the high school. What's the benefit, aside from just the instruction and, like, community access? Is there any other benefit? Oh, yeah. I think that um, there is, well, first of all, we live close to one of the largest bodies of water in the world. And we have children in our district that don't know how to swim or even, like, just enough knowledge about water that they can save themselves like talking about field trips and you had kids that like didn't know route one went past five points there are kids that live in certain parts of our district that have never been to the beach you know and it's you know i was there yesterday like i it's it's just wild to me but that's the that's the reality that we live in so i think having some kind of swimming lessons and i did that when i went to indian river we went to the howard tiana school for like a swim you know, day or whatever to kind of teach us life-saving skills and whatnot. And essentially we were like put in two groups, like kids that already knew how to swim and kids that did not. And I never had a formal um, swim lesson. You know, I grew up poor. So somebody like a friend taught me how to swim or whatever, like a, um, a friend of my parents. But um, 
No, I think having swimming lessons for all of the kids in our district. We have a swim team at the high school. Uh, they currently are, you know, go to the YMCA for lessons. They don't have their own pool. Um, I think the community, having something for the community to utilize is, is great. Kind of like a thank you. Just like all these pickleball courts that we have going on all over the place. You know, like a community rec pool. Um, yeah, just a couple of reasons why. But mainly to teach our students how to swim. Gotcha. Is it, um, have you guys looked into like the whole property value? I like, that's always been a weird, hard concept for me to understand. I don't know if that matters towards board members, but I've always heard like, if you build a new school, property values go up and it's like, is that part of the responsibility for a board is to help property values in a school district? Um, I think that property values go up when our school district is a strong district like Cape, where we're like the district of choice and we have such a great reputation. I think that people want to move here and I think that's what drives the property values. I don't know necessarily if it's the board that's driving the property values. I think it's the how great the schools are that drive the people to want to move here that bolster the property values. Yeah. So it's not really like, oh, I'm on the board. I can help everybody's property value go up 10 grand if I decide to really push for a pool. Like that's not a I consideration. I mean, wouldn't that be nice if I had that power? <laughs> I do not have that power. No. Gotcha. Yeah, it's one of those silly stories I think of in my head as to like why someone would other than, and those were the two things I was thinking, like community use and instruction would be the main goals of the pool. And I'm like, is there something else about this pool that I just don't? that I'm not wrapping my head around, that would be another benefit. And I'm like, yeah, I don't even know if property values is a really solid argument for it. I think the instruction for sure. And I think community yeah. use for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And there's not a ton in here. Can we get an ice rink? Any consideration on an ice rink? Can I just float that out there? Um, are you a hockey player? Is that why you're asking? <laughs> it sucks to do drive. You like to ice, do you like to ice skate? <laughs> I, I would. I might. I might have a talent I don't know about. Um, I don't know. It's just funny to me that it's like Harrington and Salisbury and like there's no other yeah. hockey rinks. And you think of pools, it's the YMCA and then I think Sass and Georgetown and like that's it. And you're like, yeah, yeah there aren't many. Or I guess um, yeah. Howard Tiennes, I think, still has an indoor pool. But mm -hmm. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. open. Like I've never heard anybody be like, let's go use that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think they're still open. I think okay. they're still open. Indeed River uses the Sea Colony pool, but... As far as the ice rink, um, let's get the pool first and then maybe a different board down the road can discuss an ice rink. So. When I retire, that's what I'll run on. I'll be the ice rink guy. <laughs> you can, guy. Do you live in Milton? Maybe you can run for my seat <laughs> when you retire. <laughs> oh. With the ice rink. I want the ice rink. That's your platform, Sean. Exactly. There you go. I'm planning. Yeah. I'm planting seeds. There you go. I'm planting seeds. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't know if there's a smooth way and I don't know if you'd even like to get into it, but any differences, so running unopposed last time and now yeah. running opposed this time, not to besmirch someone else. And I feel like you've emphasized a lot about yourself already, but is mm -hmm. there anything you want to be specific about that's a difference that you think people should know or um, differences? Yeah. So I, um, I've been doing this for the past seven years. There's definitely a learning curve um, when you're not in education to coming on to a school board and being a part of this unit. Um, again, I feel like I am, 
I sound like the the world's biggest cheerleader for Cape sometimes because I am. I'm just really proud of all the things that we're doing, and I'd like to be a part of um, all of the great work that Cape is doing. Um, I feel like I'm pretty fair and balanced when it comes to decisions that are being made, and I'm smart and I'm resourceful. Um, I ask a lot of questions. I'm always willing to put myself out there for this community. And at the end of the day, I have a vested interest for the next 12 years um, because I'll have a kid rolling through the district. And then maybe in 20 years, I might not be the best candidate for this school board seat. But right now I am. I have next year I'll have one at every level. I have my, my ears to the ground on what's going on in the schools. And I understand the path that we are on and I'd like to see it continue. Dude, I think that's beautiful closing. But people, please do remember it's all people in the Cape Henlopen School District that are voting, not just Milton or Area A. Jessica Tyndale, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate you just being like open enough to talk to someone who sent you no questions beforehand just to be like, hey, let's see what happens. And you were like immediate with like, yeah, no problem. It, yeah, I think that sure. says a lot about your accessibility, man, that um, I don't think should be understated. The fact that you're willing to go on the record for two hours and, and speak I've to someone. That's, that, that's commendable, yes. man. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Homeboy's been down since just about day one. If you have not already, search him up, Andre Psyche, on social media. Give my man a follow for the fuck of it. Please, almost more importantly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Five stars, five stars, five stars. If you have not already... Continue with your gracious clicking, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you're feeling super generous, as in that ching-ching monetary type, go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month. Oh yeah, and if you know anyone who'd like to be a guest on the pod, go ahead and send their contact info our way. Slide them up into my DMs. Later.